If you have a Bible with you, which I hope you do, turn to the book of Galatians. If you don't have a good Bible, get one at Guest Connections. We'd love to give one away to you for free today. And uh, we're going to be in the first 10 verses of Galatians 1. And today we begin a new 15-week series called Freedom as we work our way through the book of Galatians as a church. Uh, when it comes to preaching, we want the main diet, if you will, of our, te- of our teaching to be kind of working our way through books of the Bible, unfolding before us God's Word and how it is relevant to our lives even to this day because its truth is living and active, we believe. Its truth is unchanging and its truth is, is relevant to our lives. And we want to be people who are anchored to the Word and applying the truth of God's Word to every aspect of our lives. We haven't taught through Galatians before as a church, and so I'm excited to do that. I think it's going to be timely for us. Martin Luther, the great reformer in the 16th century, called Galatians my epistle and said if, he, if it were possible to marry one of Paul's letters, it would be Galatians. He actually said you should read Galatians at least a thousand times before you read anything from him. And why is that? Because Galatians remind us, reminds us both of what's the gospel and what is not the gospel. What is good news and what is actually not good news. The doctrine of justification by faith alone is central to this letter, that we are righteous only through His righteousness, that we have a right standing with God through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, and that the gospel changes us. It not only saves us, but it should be transforming every detail of our lives, every aspect. It's a 24-7 gospel transformation. And so my prayer as a pastor over the next four months is that for my own heart, for your heart, for our lives, that we might grow in our understanding of the grace of God and how that grace alone not only saves us, but changes us and grows us in Christ's likeness. It, it calls us to an ever-growing devotion to Jesus Christ. We're calling this series Freedom because that idea is central to this letter. That the grace of God that we both see and experience in Jesus should be leading us to freedom. And that it's only the good news of Jesus that actually does that. Nothing else will. And the picture of freedom means that we have been freed from something. That once we were enslaved, but now in Christ we've been freed. And in Galatians, Paul's writing to believers who have experienced, they've heard and they've experienced, they've welcomed the grace of God through Christ. They've received salvation, but now they're turning back towards slavery. And you and I are tempted to do the exact same thing. You and I are tempted, will be tempted, or we currently are being tempted to turn away from the person of Jesus Christ and His grace and truth. We're going to be tempted to turn toward one of two paths, if you will, away from Christ. And what are those two routes. Well, one route is a man-made religion that leads to enslavement. Leads away from freedom, leads toward enslavement. The other is a path toward man-driven rebellion. And that leads to enslavement as well. And Galatians is going to deal with both of those. And both are are distortions of the true gospel. What do I mean by man-made religion? Well, it's this thought that this whole by faith alone must be too easy. I can't trust that. I'm not sure if Jesus' work on the cross was enough for my sin. So I need to add my works to His work in order to help Him save me, in order to help Him transform me. 
So if you believe this false gospel, it's going to lead to one of two things. One route is self-righteousness. That you compare yourself to people around you and say, well, I'm obeying better than they are, or my life is cleaner than they are, than they have, and so my assurance of salvation is based upon comparison laterally. The more you find people that you can somehow beat in this mythical spiritual battle, the more assured you are that you really know Jesus and He knows you. And if it doesn't lead to self-righteousness, it leads to constant fear. And I'm not talking about the fear of God that Scripture speaks of, which is this reverential awe of God's nature, His character, goodness, holiness, His majesty, but rather a constant terror of God. So God is not personal to you. He's judge on high. And so your hope is that through your obedience, you'll keep God's affections for you. That He won't kick you out of the family. And so you're on this hamster wheel and this must keep doing more, must keep doing better, otherwise I'm not going to measure up. Your supposed assurance of salvation is somehow on the spiritual resume that you're building or the things that you're avoiding in this life. So whether it's self-righteousness or fear, both of which are going to lead to a, to a destination of chains and enslavement. If you're turning away from Jesus and turning toward man-made religion, you're going to be bound up to your own spiritual pride and this yoke and burden that is going to end up crushing you or crushing the people around you. Some of us are prone to that mentality or that route, if you will. Others of us are prone to a different type of distortion of the gospel, so you turn away from the grace of Jesus and, and you don't turn toward man-made religion. You turn toward man-driven rebellion. This air of thinking, sweet, amazing free gift of salvation through faith in Christ. Wow, this is awesome. Now I'm going to go do whatever I want to do because God will forgive me. I'll carry the card that says, listen, I prayed the sinner's prayer on this date. I got baptized. I joined a church. I walked the aisle. I was part of a small group. Whatever religious activity you want to put into that category. And that now gives me license to live however I want to live. Because I got saved back then. Now it's on me. Now I can do whatever I want to do. And so your assurance of salvation is looking at something in the past. But no present day gospel change in your life. You just point to something in the back. So instead of experiencing conviction over sin, you're prone to justify your sin or explain the reasons why you do it, blame it on something, blame it on someone else, or you begin to try to hide it. And you walk in this light, dark, hypocritical walk and talk, not lining up with one another, and you become really good at sin management. And you just try to keep it clean over here, keep it dirty over here, and keep the right people knowing which one's which. And this service, this gathering, is simply a compartment of your life. You've entered this compartment. When you leave these doors, you're going to walk into another compartment. Monday's a different one. Saturday night's a different one. Private life is a different one. In the end, you're still the authority of your own life versus Jesus being the King of kings and Lord of lords of your life. And you're falling prey to this man-driven rebellion that doesn't lead to freedom. It leads to enslavement, being chained up to your own sin. 
But the only true gospel, the good news of Jesus, leads to freedom. In Christ, a believer is accepted and loved. In Christ, a believer is made clean and condemnation has been removed. In Christ, you've been set free from this false idea that performance is how you're saved. In Christ, you're able to walk in the light at all times, even in your mess, because we've been saved by grace and not by works. In Christ, you've been set free to a life of good works. Because the good works, the spiritual disciplines of opening our Bibles and gathering with believers and praying, all those things reveal that we are saved. They're not efforts in order to be saved. Galatians reminds us of the good news of Jesus that leads to freedom, both in this life and in eternity. And it goes after these two false ideas, these false understandings of the gospel, whether it be man-made religion or man-driven rebellion. Galatians was written about 48 A.D. by the Apostle Paul, 13 years after he had met Jesus and lay down on that Damascus road, converted to Christ. Paul had planted churches in this region, modern-day Turkey. And so this letter is following the planting of those churches because any godly shepherd desires not just to see a good work begin in grace, but continue in the grace of God. October 20th, Redeemer Community Church in Menunk is going to launch. We pray it begins in the gospel of God's grace, and we pray it continues for decades to come in the gospel of God's grace, not just in the beginning, but in an ongoing generational sort of way. Paul's writing not just to a specific church like the church at Ephesus for Ephesians, but he's writing to a region of churches in this area. And in this particular passage, verses 1 through 10, as he opens this letter, he's going to lay out for us two things. Here's the real good news. No other good news than this one. This is the only gospel. And here's distortions or twisting of the gospel, which is no good news at all. So verses 1 and 2, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. An apostle meaning one who is sent. The false teachers who had come into these churches are sowing seeds of the false gospel and they were intent on undermining Paul's authority. So they're saying things like, listen, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. He wasn't with Jesus during his earthly ministry. He's self-appointed are the things that they're whispering. And, and Paul is starting with, I'm an apostle because he wants to make it clear, I've been called by Jesus himself. I'm not self-appointed. I've been appointed by him. I've been set apart for him. The risen one has sent me and I'm representing him as I write this. I come with the same authority that Peter and John and others come with. It's an issue of origin. Paul is an apostle not because man put him there or he put himself there, but because Christ did. The false teachers, on the other hand, are self-appointed. Their false gospel of man-made religion or man-driven rebellion finds its origin not in the goodness of the Lord, but in the heart of man. See, the focus of the work of the gospel, the kingdom work, the focus is always on the Messiah. It's never on the messenger. There's a, that's a continual thread throughout the whole New Testament. An elder, for instance, is under-shepherd, not the chief shepherd. 
A key way to discern if someone is skewing off the true gospel is when someone other than Jesus Christ himself as laid out for us in the gospels and in scripture becomes central. Anybody other than Jesus being central means the gospel's veering off. And so Paul wants to make it really clear to both the Galatians and to us, I'm simply an ambassador. I've been sent on behalf of him who is risen from the dead, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, who has come to set the captives free. In the verses 3 through 5, he lays out for us the true good news. He wants to remind them right on the front end, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of, God, of our God and Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So there, he, he has these five elements or five phrases that reveal to us the good news. The first phrase is our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is always central to the good news. Without him, there is no good news. Jesus, the eternal one born in the flesh to dwell among us, he came full of grace and truth. And with his birth, life, death, and resurrection has changed everything. He's ushered in a new covenant of grace versus an old covenant of law. And now we're able to be saved through faith alone in him. He is Lord. And he is the one who gave himself for our sins. Jesus was born without sin. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live. He perfectly loved the Father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He perfectly loved others. Whatever the Father asked of him, he did. The Father's will, the Son's will in perfect alignment. And yet he died the death that was ours to die. He died in our place. He substituted himself. John 3.16 reminds us that the Father gave the Son. Well, here we are reminded that the Son gave of Himself. Why? For our sins. Meaning we're born sinners. You and I fall short of what God has asked us to be. None of us are perfect. Compared to the perfection of the Lord, you and I are imperfect, rebellious, broken, flawed, and all of us know that. I couldn't make it through Saturday yesterday without being brutally reminded that, yep, I fall short. I need the gospel of God's grace. If you're here and you're like, no, I'm, I'm pretty awesome. I mean, I'm thinking bat, I'm pretty much batting a thousand. You and I need to do lunch because I clearly need to learn something from you. All right? You can buy because you're awesome and you'll be generous. <laughs> I'll be stingy and I'm still growing in Christ's likeness. All right? We are a sinner not because we sin. Not because something out there has infected us, but because we've been born with an infection. We've been born with a sin disease that we cannot heal ourselves. So gossip and lying and those kind of things, they don't make us sinners. They reveal that we are sinners. And Jesus gave himself for our sins. He bore the weight of God's wrath and judgment toward sin. He took on the penalty of sin, which is death, and paid the price in full He's perfectly righteous, and on the cross, he takes on our unrighteousness. This great exchange happens through faith alone. He takes on our sin, and we are covered in his holiness. The, the stain-free, unblemished Lamb of God takes on our stain, our blemish, our sin, and bears the weight of it. 
and now we are clothed in His righteousness. John Calvin said, these words, who gave Himself for our sins, that phrase, are very important. He wanted to tell the Galatians straight out that atonement for sins and perfect righteousness are not to be sought anywhere but in Christ. So glorious is this redemption that it should ravish us with wonder. It should ravish us with wonder. Are you ravished with wonder? The cross is central to the good news. The next phrase, to rescue us from this present evil age. We were helpless, we were condemned, we were dead in our sin. The good news of Jesus is not we were weak and needed boosting or that we needed some assistance. It's not that we were drowning and needed a life ring thrown to us. Like we were almost ashore and we just needed the Lord to kind of help us onto the beachhead. No, we were dead, face down, no pulse, and the Lord has given us new life. And that should ravish us with wonder. It should ravish us with wonder that the Lord has been that good to us. Through faith alone in Christ, we've been rescued. We've been set free. Think of the story of the Israelites. Set free from Egyptian slavery. 400 years of slavery. Hopeless, helpless. Generation after generation. Unable to free themselves. But God. The Lord sets them free and has complete and total victory over the evil of the Egyptians. And all of that is a picture of what Christ has done for us. In Christ, we've been set free from a hopeless situation. In Christ, we've been set free from a helpless situation. Chains broken. In Christ, we've been set free from being slaves to this world. We're free from living for temporary earthly things. Now we're free to turn toward the Lord and love others and love Him and serve Him alone. The next phrase, according to the will of our God and Father. Listen, if you're in Christ, it was God's pleasure to save you. It was God's pleasure to save you. Not because you and I are awesome, but because He is. That He is able to save and reconcile and restore. He's that good. And since Genesis 3 and the fall of man, the sovereign and good will of God the Father has been unfolding and culminating in the coming of Christ culminating in the cross and the resurrection and that He is making and will make all things new. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. It is His sovereign and good will that people might be saved from judgment and experience true freedom in Christ. If you don't know Jesus as Lord, let today be the day of your salvation. Let today be the day that you turn back toward Him. The last phrase, to Him be the glory. Jesus did all the work. We don't contribute to our salvation. When you receive a gift, you don't say, hey, can I pitch in for that gift? You just welcome it. You receive it. You enjoy it. You unwrap it. What we contributed to our salvation is simply a need for being saved. is our own sin. Because Jesus gets all the glory then. The good news of Jesus, the cross, rescue, God's good will, and God's glory. This is the only gospel. 
Now, typically in Paul's letters, this is the portion where he enters into thanksgiving. Not this one. He's abrupt in confronting them. There's no sandwich of praise, confront, praise, like, I'm thankful for you. Here's what's wrong, but I'm thankful for you. There's none of that. No, this is, here's the gospel. I'm an apostle. I've been sent by the risen one. This has gone awry in your lives. And he's confronting this because these are eternal matters. These are not secondary things that can be disagreed upon. These are closed fists. This is the gospel. This affects eternity. This affects actual freedom versus enslavement. Verses 6-9. through I am amazed, he writes, that you are so quickly turning away from Him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, a curse be on him. He writes, I'm amazed. Your translation may say astonished that you're so quickly turning away. I was just there. We were just planting churches. You responded to the grace of God. Why would you move away from something so good and move toward this other gospel, which is actually no gospel at all? And notice what he says there in verse 6, how Paul phrases it. Turning away from Him who called you by the grace of Christ. The Galatians are not turning away from a doctrine or an idea. They're turning away from a person. The good news of Jesus doesn't attach a believer to a, an idea, but a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. They're turning away not from a message, but from the Messiah. And they're starting to turn back to what they've been set free from. Whether it be man-made religion or man-driven rebellion. So again, think of the Israelites. They've been set free from the Egyptians. Red Sea parts. Walk over on dry land. Fish on the sides enemy is then vanquished just completely conquered as they're on dry land egyptians swallowed up they sing this worship song found in exodus 15 and by exodus 32 what are they doing they're worshiping a golden calf 17 chapters later right is that right yeah that's good math they so quickly turned away from the lord and a relationship with him god you're awesome God, we're tired of waiting. Let's make this calf. Let's bow down to it, thinking that will somehow save us. They turned toward slavery. So what did the Galatians turn toward instead? If they turned away from the good news, what did they turn toward? Well, they turned toward a gospel according to verse 7, which is troubling or distorting. How is this other gospel distorting the good news? Well, since Paul had left, this group of Judaizers had come into this region and these churches, and they were talking about to the believers saying, listen, if you're going to be accepted by God, you've got to also follow these Old Testament laws. It's not by grace alone. It's not through faith alone. Listen, if God's going to accept you, if you're going to experience transformation, you need to follow these Old Testament laws as well. And so men be circumcised. To everyone, celebrate these festivals. 
to everyone, follow these dietary laws. Avoid these foods. Eat these foods. The thought was that through forcing yourself to obey the law, you could then transform yourself to the kind of person that God would be pleased with. So do these external things, and that will somehow transform your heart internally. Some of you might take dietary supplements on a consistent basis. The idea is that you're not regularly uh, getting something you need from your diet, so you need to supplement or you need to add to your diet what is missing. And the Judaizers were saying, listen, that main diet of faith in Christ alone and by grace alone, you need to supplement that with these external works, with these, because faith alone is not enough to save. It's not adequate to save you. But when you try to supplement the good news, it ruins all of it. As one commentator wrote, any attempt to add to the gospel by human effort becomes a denial of grace and renders Christ's death pointless. It's no longer good news to tell someone, listen, Jesus died for your sins, but his death wasn't enough to fully satisfy the wrath of God. Or, or fully pay the penalty of your sin, or fully forgive you. Listen, you need to help him out by doing these extra things. But if that's the case, then where's the line for salvation? Like, like how many good works then lead to salvation? Is it once a day? Three times a day? As needed? Once a month? Where, where's the line? What if, what if the person next to you is just really cranking them out? and you're falling behind, then what? Where's that line at that actually we are saved? It becomes, according to Ephesians 2, it becomes just this bragging or boasting about our works, comparing resumes, comparing histories. It becomes a competition. It's a false gospel that no longer leads to good news, let alone leads to freedom. So thinking through these five attributes that Paul laid out in verses 3 through 5, it's distorting each of those. So if the true gospel is all about Jesus, well, the distorted gospel is no longer about Jesus Christ. If someone's good news is not all about God's one and only Son and His birth, life, death, and resurrection, then it's no longer good news. The true gospel is all about the cross, Jesus giving Himself for our sins. But here, the troubling one, is all about human effort, implying the cross wasn't enough. As if Jesus on the cross said, it's not quite finished, can you help me out? My blood covered nearly all of it, but not some of it. Help me out. As if God's one and only Son looked down and said, hey, can you help me out? It's lunacy to think that we who are infected with the, sin of, with the disease of sin can somehow heal ourselves, pull ourselves up from that same disease. The true good news is all about rescue. It's all about rescue. But this twisted good news enslaves us to a hamster wheel or cowering in the corner in fear. The true gospel is all about the good and sovereign will of God the Father. This false one's all about the will of man. And man ends up determining what leads to salvation and freedom, rather than it being through faith alone and by grace alone. Man sits on the judgment seat rather than King Jesus. And finally, the true gospel is all about God's glory. He did the work. 
He is to be praised. He set the captives free. But the distorted one leads to boasting and bragging and self-righteousness and rebellion because it's all about you. It's all about self-glory. I did this. I avoided that. I'm better than they are. And Paul's amazed that they're making this trade. It's like trading your pizza in the, sca- in the school cafeteria lunch for the mixed veggie square. It's a terrible trade. <laughs> no one has made that trade. And so, I'm so thankful for these mixed veggies. Like, oh. It's a terrible trade. Why would we turn away from Jesus Himself and all His goodness and turn toward anything or anyone else? This is what Paul is astonished at, amazed at. It's impossible, listen, it's impossible for good news, for the good news of Jesus to get better with our help. You know, I can tweak a couple things. No, it doesn't get better. It only gets worse and it becomes distorted and it's no good news at all if, our, if we think we're going to help it by adding to it or subtracting from it. And notice the strength of Paul's words toward those who lead others toward this good news that supposedly is good but actually enslaves. A curse beyond them, he says, and he says it twice. Paul's saying that the wrath of God will fall on anyone who preaches the gospel different than the true one. The one I represent as an apostle means what he says. And such false teachers that are, are going to face condemn, condemnation because they're leading other people toward condemnation. Verse 10, for am I now trying to persuade people or God or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, the false teachers were motivated in part by a desire to please the Jewish leaders. They didn't want to face persecution. They didn't want to face attack from that group. And so they're willing to distort the truth to avoid trouble in their life. And yet this group is whispering, ah, Paul's self-appointed. He's out to please people. And Paul's saying this gospel, this true one, it doesn't stroke a person's ego. No one puffs up with pride hearing that we've all fallen short. No one beats their chest and says, I'm awesome, when we're reminded that we're constantly falling short of God's goodness or God's, how God's called us to live. The true gospel lovingly confronts our egos and pride. It tells us that we are in need of rescue and that we can't save or rescue ourselves. The good news declares that we are in desperate need of grace, mercy, and help. And that through Jesus Christ alone, we have received grace, mercy, and help. And church, that should ravish us with wonder. It should ravish us with wonder. Paul's boldness here reveals a love for the people because he doesn't want to see them enslaved. He wants them to experience freedom in Christ. Now, I love verse 10 for several reasons, but, but here's what I want us to see today. So the idea of Galatians is freedom. But here, Paul calls himself a servant of Christ. That doesn't sound like freedom, does it? The original Greek word should be translated as either slave or bondservant. Some of your translations may say that. Most of our English, English translations say servant. The Greek word is doulos. And when it gets translated as servant in our context, how we would interpret that then, we see, well, it's kind of part-time. It's voluntary. 
Now, when I feel like it, I'll serve. Now, when it's easy, when I'm with the right, when I'm in front of this Christian group, then I'll serve Jesus. But when I'm over here, I don't care about that. It becomes just this part-time, voluntary, compartmentalized life. But bond servant or slave is my life is not my own anymore. I don't rule my life. I was bought with a price. That cross means I've been bought. I've been set free. I've been redeemed. Not so that I could live for myself and for my own flesh, but live for the Lord. I've been rescued, and so I belong to Him now. This is what Paul will be declaring in chapter 2. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but He who lives in and through me. He's made me alive, so He has my life. He's pulled my dead, lifeless body out of the ocean. He has my life. See, what Paul will argue in this letter is that true freedom is found when you're trusting in and following the forever good, loving, just, faithful, wise, merciful, compassionate master of Jesus Christ. There's no evil in that description. That there in that relationship is actually the only place where freedom is really found. And that no matter what our flesh may say, a false teacher may whisper, freedom is never found in man-made religion and freedom is never found in man-driven rebellion. They both lead to enslavement. They both lead to chains. They both lead to death and destruction. Freedom is found in Christ alone because in Christ we are accepted, loved, forgiven, saved, justified, blameless, set free. All by grace alone. Nothing earned by works. The worship team can come back up. The good news of Jesus is all about what Jesus has already done for us. And I love how the, the, the bookends of these ten verses. Verse 1, he's saying, I'm an apostle. I'm a sent one. Verse 10, he's saying, I'm a servant, a slave for Jesus Christ. And so church, friends, who are you living for? Not today. Not like 1055. What about tomorrow morning? Students, as you go into school, as you go into college, who are you living for? Who are you seeking to please? Who are you growing in your devotion to? Yourself or the King of kings and Lord of lords? Who rules your heart? Who do you serve? Who are you bound to? At your seats, before we stand and sing, I want to ask just a couple questions. Believer, have you turned away from him, not a doctrine, not a message, but have you turned away from Him, Him, the cross? Have you turned away from Him who died and rose again for you and turned towards something other than His sweet and amazing grace? Is there a spirit of earning and striving and performing in you? Is there a spirit of rebellion in you? Today's the day to turn back, to return to the Lord, to return to relationship, to rest in His grace. To you who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior yet, today is the day to turn back to Him, to turn away from man-made religion, man-driven rebellion, and turn toward Him who gave Himself for your sins, who has come to set the captives free, who has come to rescue and 
redeem. Let's spend a minute or two in prayer as the Spirit leads us, and then we'll stand and sing.